Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. people who have chosen to subscribe to our show and are getting exclusive content at this point. We're going to make this work for you. We're going to rattle on like the clatterbone of the goose's ass about music. This is part two of can it really be a band or something along those lines. I haven't quite figured out the title. We'll talk about that later. But It's kind of like those movies. It's a working title production. So at the end of the last segment, uh, we were talking about super bands and the Traveling Mulberries specifically. So I'm going to step on Brian's dick here for just a second and uh, go off on this question for me. Because he asked, he asked about, because he suggested, this is the truth, Roy Orbison died like so quickly after uh, the, the band released their stuff. Um, so ultimately... How they just quickly because you know I like to do my tangents and put shit in context and you know history is like the key to everything you know knowing who you are where you're at what you're doing but uh, when they were making the single for Free Falling um, George Harrison and fucking Roy Orbison and Jeff Lynne and fucking Bob Dylan are sitting in Tom Petty's studio while he's going through this process. Imagine that. Just, just, just put that in your fucking head for just a second. Where you've got, like, the the least famous guy is Jeff Lynne, and he's like the singer songwriter for the Electric Light Orchestra. I mean, this is a fucking huge. These are these are the immortals, you know, gods like a a a, a, a veritable songwriters Mount Rushmore. At least demigods. Around. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, demi at the very least. Yeah. So they're sitting there, and I'm not sure if it was End of the Line or Handle with Care. I think it was Handle. Handle with Care, an incredible fucking song. Uh, Green Sky Bluegrass did a really nice live version of it. You can find it on YouTube. But uh, um, they lie down this lay down this track, and it's supposed to be the B side for Tom Petty's Free Falling. And Free Falling obviously was a great song. The single did monstrous. And that goofy girl in the fucking half pipe on MTV, you know, going back and forth. But uh, <laughs> that was when MTV used to show music videos. They don't do that anymore. So. Um, but either way, uh, when they when they finished laying down the track, they're like, uh, we, we, we can't use this as a B-side. Sorry, Tom. You're going to have to figure out something else. And, of course, like he was in full agreement. I'm sure they were all laughing about it at that point in time, and they started to collaborate on it. But the way that the question was approached at the beginning is supergroups, right? I think that one of the keys, and I'm sure there's an exception. We could find an exception somewhere either in – the present or down the road that would make me rethink the argument that I'm about to make. That's what makes this stuff kind of fun anyway. But in supergroups, nobody's cutting their fucking teeth in a supergroup. They've already sort of like established their position. They're superstars, at least to some degree. Like you said, Jeff Lynn was ELO. Yeah. Bob Dylan was not Robert Zimmerman. (laughs) He was Bob Dylan. No, I mean, Bob Dylan is Bob Dylan. Yeah. But, I mean, Jeff Lynn, he was the least known out of the bunch. Yeah, and he was a monster. They, they had, and they had all gone through the process of yes. So that's the super part, I think, is you're at least 
Maybe they should just call them star groups. I don't mean whatever you know. Okay, so like Oysterhead, like as a as a super band, you got Trey Anastasio, you got the the drummer for uh, what's the drummer's name from fucking the Police, uh, Stuart Copeland, and you got fucking the bass player from fucking Primus. Les Claypool. Yeah, that was I was trying to say, it, but I was trying to say it in Les Claypool talk. You know, Les Claypool speak, right? He's got a kind of a way of a. But the, the, I, I mean, wouldn't huge. you consider Temple of the Dog a super band too? Right. Okay. So, but Temple oh, sorry. of the Dog. No, but no, that's 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 an interesting thing because Temple of the Dog was 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 a, an iteration that was constructed as trying to sort of like pay homage to the memory of of the fallen friends, right? Um, Oysterhead was a collaboration between three fucking weirdos that just want to go. I'm not really sure, like. In a situation like that, I'm not really sure who you'd ever bring in to replace, you know, but I think that you can because, again, you're not cutting teeth on what it is that they're doing anyway. You can have some other incredible percussionist come in and sit in. Okay, so then your argument is if it is a super band, you can bring someone else in to replace someone else because everyone is already so, a superstar. What I, what, so what I, what I, but there's nuance to it, right? Okay. So I'm saying that, so like, like I said, with with uh, um, what was the first one that you said? Not, Temple of the Temple Dog. Of the Dog. Like that's that's a unique sort of situation, right? Oysterhead, they had specific intentions, uh, but it depends on the iteration, right? So that's that's sort of I'm saying. When you're talking about the traveling traveling Wilburys, you're talking about like the best singer songwriters of all time, not just of an era, you know, of all fucking time. So like. Even though Robertson, you know, fell off his motorcycle and bounced his fucking head off the fucking curb and died, which was a horrible fucking thing, I think that because of the nature of like these singer songwriters that love the concept of singer songwriting, I think you could bring other people in into that. But that would mean that you're not, you know, like things like the handle with care stuff. Like you're gonna re you're gonna write new stuff overall because that's the whole point. It's like you get together with these these giants. And you sit around a proverbial campfire with them, and you just shit out fucking, you know, platinum, you know. Okay, then. so I, I, I'm just stepping back because okay. I want to make sure I understand this. Yeah. So it's okay to do on the Traveling Wilburys. Yes. Because they are all superstars in and of themselves, separately uh -huh. and together. Yes. And because because of the nature of what it is that they did. Right, because they, they were just together. trying to create music. How they came together, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. You can't do the same thing with Temple of the Dog. It's just it's harder for me. So like if they had that, if they if at another point in time, like they were like thirty years down the road. Well, right, because when Temple of the Dog started, they weren't a super group. Right? No, but they were, uh, Pearl Jam was already pretty, well, they, they, you're right. Nobody was, yeah, dude, actually, if I, if I, like, there was something I was watching recently, they made more money off Temple of the Dog than they did off their, not, not, Pearl Jam had, their album had not come out yet. They were, they were, they were in the recording process of it at that point, I think, I think 10 was, or like the, you know, the old A&R things that you were talking about. There was promotion, promotion things that they were dealing with. They hadn't fully laid everything down. Um, I believe Soundgarden had already released an album at that point in time, but uh, they they were not as well known. Singles um, had come out, and there were songs that were on the single soundtrack that like 
push some of these thoughts out into the front. Such a horrible movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'd never seen the movie, but I, I used to own, I've owned like four copies of the fucking soundtrack because it was so awesome. But like the fucking Mother Love Moan songs that were on that. Um, the, Maybe that's where I heard that song. Yeah, both both Crown of Thorns and Chloe Dancer are on that, that soundtrack. Okay, so here's, okay, so... It says, The Temple of the Dog is a spinoff of Mother Love Bone, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Green River. Mm-hmm. It's not a spinoff of any of those. No, that's, that's an improper... That's, and this is Wikipedia. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but it says that their members were Chris Cornell, Jeff Ament, Matt Cameron, Stone Gossard, Mike McCready, and Eddie Vedder. So the only two that I would consider super out of that what I called a super group uh-huh. are Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder. A- am I wrong? I, did, uh, I like, mean, uh, I mean, if you know that music, I know all of those other people. I mean, like really, 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 really well. But I mean, having said that, yeah, you're right. If you're talking to normal everyday people, normal everyday people are not going to know who Stone Gossard is. They don't know. They don't know that he played rhythm guitar for for them before they don't know that he played rhythm guitar for another band in between and they played has played rhythm guitar now for pearl jam since 1992 you know i mean nobody fucking knows that except for dorks like or people that are really into that it really or just really into music in general i'm sure like if we talked to my old boss brian he would know all of them but that's because he fucking is is the biggest music dork in the history of the fucking universe so okay just i i I really want to continue the supergroup thing. So the thirty, but the thirty-year point that I was making, right? Chris Cornell is dead now, right? Yes. But if his daughter came on that and sang, no, I'd be okay with that. Why? Because she can sing, and because there's you weren't okay there. with the fucking Jason Bonham thing with Led Zeppelin. That's that is a totally you're you're talking about the difference between a collected group, right? And Led Zeppelin is fucking Led Zeppelin. Nobody gets to sit in on Led Zeppelin okay, except that's, for Led Zeppelin. No, that's fair. Now, we didn't talk that, about that. But that's what I was that. talking about in definitions. But to be clear, we didn't talk about that on... No, on, we didn't on, talk on, about yeah, it in the uh-huh. first part. Uh-huh. No. But John, John Bonham's a unique case because he's a fucking drummer. You know, he's not a fucking front man. He's not Eddie Van Halen. He is one of the top five probably best drummers of all time. Definitely changed the way that drummers organized like weird syncopated rhythms that were outside of the normal you know i mean he did moby dick man he was a bad motherfucker you know but jason bond can sit in with them like for one night but no jason bonham cannot come and play drums for Led Zeppelin. That's and that's why they did the page plant thing. That's why they never read but the page plant thing was bullshit too. But it still was not them trying to be No, but it was right. So it was Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Yeah, uh-huh. That's all. Yeah. And they were saying, "Fuck it, we're not Led Zeppelin." Yeah. We're going to play some Led Zeppelin <laughs> songs. We're also going to rip off some fucking R&B. <laughs> <laughs> and Allison Krauss is going to sit in every night. Yeah. Okay. So I I dig that definition. I'm I'm good there. All right. Um, wow. Thanks. Thanks, bitch. You know I disagree with you. You fucking argue. I fucking agree with you. You talk shit. Well, we just you, you only disagreed Fuck with me you until you understood what I was saying. So. All right. So you talked about Stone Gossard, right? Yeah. And you said nobody would know, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't 
apparently his first band was Green River, which I've never even fucking heard of. Do you know who they are? No. It makes me want to go, Green River. Okay, so My Green River. Is over, Jordan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Green River flowed into Mother Love Bone. I got I get that. They flowed into Mother Love Bone, yes. And then... I'm guessing, well, it says he was also a member of Temple of the Dog, but Temple of the Dog had to come before Pearl Jam. It did. It, well, so that it was all... Or all, during, all, like at the first part. A lot of things happened really, really quick during that time period. So Andrew Wood dies in 1990 um, of a heroin overdose. Um they had brought, so they flew Eddie up. Well, Eddie flew up from, he was living in California. He flew up, um, he tried out for them. It, it had pretty much been set in stone, but again, 10 was not out yet. So they're recording. And something happened to where there was a communication between some of the guys that had played in Mother Love Bone and the guys that were in Pearl Jam and two people that were in Soundgarden, but not everybody in Soundgarden. Like the guitar player, and he got really butthurt about not being invited into. Was that Robert Trujillo? I can't. I, think I know who he is when I see him, but I can't remember their names right off the top of my head. I don't know. I'm just spitting out they fucking made, random weird they names. They made so much fucking money off of, and they did not intend to make a bunch of money. Off Dude, of that them. Temple of the Dog fucking album it is good. great. Yeah, it was really it's good. it's badass. Yeah, and like Strike I said, is like one of the biggest songs. Only two of those guys, I would. Consider super. Yeah. Kristen, but yeah. I know that it was a composition of several different bands. Now, that doesn't always make a band super. Mm -hmm. Maybe the reason in my head somehow is that I'm considering them super is but because, super, well, that's part of it. But I mean, it's Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell. But then the fact that that album fucking sold as much as it that did because those guys were getting all these royalties off of it and the, the the guys in soundgarden you know it wasn't until like black hole sun came out that they really got you know had, had a big payday i think probably uh, that's probably about right i don't know for sure but i mean i'm still thinking that robert trujillo was the guy was that was butthurt yeah they, uh, but they didn't know they had no Soundgarden just didn't and like the interesting thing is when I listen to people that know music and know music theory and they want to talk about a Seattle band that's the most interesting and most innovative it's always Soundgarden like they and 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 not just because of the way that the music was structured with those guys but because of the way that Chris Cornell did these weird vocal stylings on, like on the side of it like they were just dude and everybody smarter than most people he, anymore he was awesome and I rarely like somebody that says, fuck it, I'm going to go do my own thing. I mean, Sting is probably one example where he was okay. Um, and, and and I didn't mean to demean Sting in any way, shape, or form. Um, but compared to the police, I like the police stuff better than the solo sure. stuff. I liked Soundgarden stuff better than Cornell's solo stuff. Mm -hmm. And better than Audio Slave, yeah, right? No, no, no. Audio Slave. I, I like better. Audio Slave better than Soundgarden. Uh -huh. And Black Hole Sun is, I, I mean, Spoonman. Oh, that I entire fucking Spoonman. album. Spoonman had a measure of 
uh, commercial success, but of course that was just them talking about heroin. Well, and there's the one, um, I can't even remember, when I first bought my DVD player, they played it, and it was the, ah, hold on a second, talk and I'll, so, I'll find um, the song. That, but it, it is interesting to think about, you know, them as like a, a pre-super group because so, you don't generally get that where this sort of thing sort of comes together beforehand and it just sort of like falls into place no it was black hole sun the song that we're talking about okay um but Won't you come? the the ones before that Won't i were just as good um but that's where they got their payday but i wouldn't consider soundgarden a super band however audio slave is a super band because well that had uh tom morello player, yeah and i think slash was there yeah fucker um not, hold on it's not the drummer i'm the drummer, almost positive be, it had to be danny, danny carey is, is the best drummer on the planet there nobody else even fucking counts there's danny carey and everybody else just fucking kind of no maybe not it was uh chris cornell tom morello okay. which he's one of my favorite guitarists ever definitely a weirdo and and, and very smart tim comerfo on did, bass how did that go comerfo and brad wilk which i'm guessing is percussion where did comerfo come from because uh, if you're going to call it a super group, it can't just be because of those two. Well, I don't know. I just fucking called Temple of the Dog a super group. But then we were sort of like, it was a circling. It was, yeah, it's a super group before it's a super group. Uh, okay, so Brad Wilk was a member of Rage Against the Machine. Okay. Um, Maybe it were, they were all. Rage. And he is a drummer. I think if I remember. So maybe everything, everybody except Chris Cornell was Rage. Yeah. I think Morello was part of a. I know he's a very nice guy. He never says anything yeah. really negative and, about Zach Bill. And the bassist was. From, from Rage, yeah. Well, no. I, dude, he said he's too political. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Not verbatim. But because Tom Morello is way fucking political, he's a very political right. motherfucker. But I mean, Zach De La Rocha was fuck you, fuck you. Oh, yeah. I won't do what you told me. Yeah, particularly the first album. The first album was just so you, you got to get it, got to get it together, man. Dude, like and that man. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Nobody knew him before. But as far as I'm concerned, that is a super group. And I am extremely ashamed of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for waiting. For waiting. And not, they still didn't fucking get in this year. What? Who? I, Rage. Rage. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Well, but it's because of, I mean, we know why. The political it's because, yeah, part. I mean, yeah. they, they've said some things. That, and, and, and let's be honest, like, there's nothing that Rage says that isn't. Factual. True. Yeah. Yeah. No, not true. Straight facts. They're speaking truth because it's rooted in facts. I, lo I love it, dude. There's a difference between you truth accuse and facts. me of being fucking semantic Only all when the it time. Comes to stuff like I, people use words like truth and facts, and I, I don't like that using those words interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. No, they're not. 
They're speaking truth because they're using facts. A fact is a point of fucking data. Yeah. And the truth like is when, the truth. Like when he says the CIA killed uh, <laughs> Malcolm X. and the C- Point and, of data. And the CIA killed uh, Martin Luther King. <laughs> he even actually says when they killed Malcolm X, uh, they, they, he, he tried to blame it on the Islams, you know. I mean, he says everything, you know. They, did you know that uh, during that time period, because we haven't had enough political stuff on this one, uh, there were seven people on the board of Islam's nation, nation of Islam's board. I think there were ten members on the board. Seven of them were um, given intel to the FBI and the CIA during that time period when they uh, assassinated Malcolm X. To be clear, the nation of Islam, and maybe that's why my fucking Islamic professor uh-huh. didn't want me to categorize the two together, is because of what you just said. But to be clear, the nation of Islam and Islam are different. Why did Farrakhan, doesn't have why shit did to do with music. But why did he go down that rabbit hole then? Because he wasn't a nation of Islam guy. I mean, he was a 1990s nation of Islam guy. But I mean, dude, the the name had been. I mean, for anybody that knew anything about history, we should probably start talking about music again pretty quick here. But. For anyone that knew anything about music history, I mean about history, not music history in this case, anybody that listened to Rage Against Machine should know that the Nation of Islam had been had some pretty, you know, or if you just go watch, you know, you just go watch your your, your favorite uh, director's version of Malcolm X. I know you love him. Well, and generally, that was a great film. Okay, but I mean, Spike generally speaking, if you've got something where somebody can leverage you. Mm-hmm. And when I say someone, I mean the fucking CIA mm-hmm. or the government. Yeah. They're going to leverage you. And so if you've got family and they say, oh, well, you know what? You've got a brother who's in prison and we can get him out early. Or if you don't do this, we're going to kill your fucking daughter. Yeah. Like when they started trying to blow up his house and all that shit, but they were doing it to people inside the nation of Islam as well, probably. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is that those nine, there's vulnerabilities that they all had and it was probably used against them so that they could become tools of the, and I'm not saying that's an excuse because at some point you got to say, fuck you and you know, warn your fucking, warn your parents. Warn your fucking kids. That was a great. I remember Travis Little. I ran into him at that at the Mammoth. uh, I loved his fucking sister. Did you really? Dude. The Mammoth Event Center. um, That was uh, before the Fillmore bought it and changed it over. And uh, we went down there. They were Rage was opening up for uh, Cypress Hill, and uh, of course Cypress was taking their six foot bong hits up on the fucking stage and shit. But uh, I had just gotten the cassette, Rage's, you know, that first album's cassette the week before. And I was like, these guys are opening up? This is a fucking badass fucking album. And Travis Little had his fucking dreadlocks, you know, just hilarious, man. But, like, he was, uh, I think that he His sister it. was Mindy, right? Am I thinking of the, wrong, think Travis? Of the wrong Travis? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking Sergeant. No, oh, that is, yeah, Travis. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, that's the Mormons. Yeah. They were, the, the Mormons, not Mormons. Anyway. I caught, I, caught, I caught his dad cheating on his mom. Who? Sergeant Little. Travis Sergeant. 
Well, I don't care. I loved his sister. And she was my drug dealer's girlfriend in... 1989? uh, Somewhere around there? Yeah. Yeah. The 80s. That was when the first Top Gun came out. Before Tom Cruise was an old man. So, I know we've sort of strayed, except for the fact that Rage is a supergroup. Or at least now, because... Tom Morello. But and you're making your you see again, you're like turning them into a supergroup based on the past. Now that they went and did this other thing on the side. I don't I don't think you can say that. No, you can't. Group. They weren't a supergroup to begin with. They just became a supergroup later on because of all these other things? Well, they weren't formed as a supergroup. However, I consider them a fucking super group. Not a super group. <laughs> Right? Semantics, right? Semantics. This is is where we are. Well, I mean, we can roll back because, like I said, Tom Morello and Chuck D went back and redid all of the fucking Rage Against the Machine shit. And it was a fucking solid album, except... Chuck D was doing vocals? Yeah. Oh, I never never listened to that. No, that's a So you didn't fucking listen to me earlier when I said that shit? I heard you talking about it, but I don't think I quite confused it. That's that's a superish group. I mean, that's superish, you know. It, I mean, it was a. Who else was doing the music? Was it just Rage uh, with with Chuck D? No, or? it wasn't Rage. I mean, because Zach wasn't involved. I understand that, but the other members, like there were an Audio Slave. Was it the Audio Slave people that just went over and did it with Chuck D doing vocals? No, I don't think it was Audio Slave. Hold on, I'm finding. It. I mean, Chuck D is a good option because at least he's like it's one thing to glom on to the political the politicality of Rage, if you if you're not political. But Chuck D, you know, nine one one is a joke in your town. He was a political motherfucker. We actually had set him up. From the very beginning. He was going to come and uh, speak at Metro, and he was like nine hours late to his fucking talk. Do you still have his contact info? Uh, It was before I started doing all that stuff. It was just something that I heard about, and Jason had been bitching about it. So, like, uh, that is a dick move. If if you're going to get paid a fucking, uh, what do you call those when you're uh, a speaker? A parent's fee? Well, but there's specific things. Speaker fee? you're not helping political me. fee you're not helping me at all right now <laughs> honorarium is the word that i was when you're going to get paid an honorarium to come and speak at a uh college you know and this is like pre-political correctness college stuff so um well shit happens sometimes but chuck d should have showed up that wasn't very nice chuck d no it fucking was bullshit really so while you're looking so like I think that Seattle got the sh- the sh- the shit end of like demonstrating how if you have a vocalist that dies or somebody that dies in a band. So Nirvana with Kurt Cobain when he's gone, nobody ever thought about coming and being a frontman for fucking Nirvana after that. Like you said, Allison Chains, Lane Staley was a brutal situation. Soundgarden slash Audio Slave, no Chris Cornell, no fucking dice, bro. Uh, Mother Love Bone. Um, Again, Andrew Wood. Um, well, you can't you can't slash Audio Slave, and the only reason that I'm saying that is because Soundgarden was Seattle, Audio Slave was not. Can, can I just sorry? Keep go ahead. Your keep find keep what you're looking for, motherfucker. Keep going. So Mother Love Bone. Now Mother Love Bone is kind of the coolest example of of, of how respectful they were about it because when Andrew Wood died, um, and they had so. 
like I said, uh, Amet, the bassist, and Gossard, they were they were both part of Love, Mother Love Bone. Um, when they came over and they filled in the spaces that ultimately when they brought a young man up from California by the name of Eddie Better, it was not going to be called Mother Love Bone. It was called Pearl Jam, and that's that's what it became. And it, that was a, a out of respect thing. And then another one that uh, this is not a Seattle band, but it's a it's a band that people relate to Seattle because there was kind of an angstiness to them that reflected the grunge ideals. And you had this really incredible vocalist that was at the front of it, and who ended up dying of a heroin overdose himself. But uh, STP, Stone Temple Pilots, was Scott Weiland. Um, they after he died, um, that Chester Bennington was a front man briefly, um, but I'm happy to say. Uh, not because Chester Bennington ended up fucking killing himself, but <laughs> that that was a short-lived thing because Scott, Scott Weiland's vocal positions, like every, especially Core, like everything that came off of Core, like Core was my favorite album. I want to roam through your wick, goddamn. It was, it was, dude, it was it was a good album cover to cover too, which you don't you just don't get that very often. So, um, uh-uh. but uh, these are all bands that uh, understood that when you have a core component to a band like the the thing that that drives the band to the front in the first place like i said the tip of the spear you know if the tip of the spear is dull it's over it, you, you can't you can't do it without those people you know like uh when uh um foo fighters what's uh the drummer um taylor hawkins no not the foo fighters drummer the drummer from nirvana that the one that everybody in the world loves now. Um, the head, the front man for the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. Yeah, Dave Grohl was never going to. And then bassist, that guy, I can't remember what his name is. Nemesis is the bitch something. I can't remember the bassist for. He uh, was from somebody from Nirvana. And, and he, was Kirk, he was Kurt Cobain's best friend for a long time. They played in several bands together. They grew up together. Um, there was never going to be a, a Nirvana part two, you know. Oh, dude, that fucking band is even better than I thought. So, the one I was just looking at is Prophets of Rage, and it's Tom Morello, okay. Chuck D, and Be Real from Cypress Hill. Really? Yeah. And I I didn't even realize Be Real was in it, but... I'm not, now I'm going to have to go listen to it. Cypress has... I mean, their second album was fine, but they their first album was really the best, the one with pigs on it in Latin lingo. So is that a super band? Yeah, that's got to be. You have to identify that as a super band. Yeah, Cypress was Cypress stood on their own. Fucking um, Chuck D with the Public with the, Enemy with the with the time clock guy. Yeah. They, most de- no, not no, most deaf. Definitely, most no. definitely not no, most deaf. No, 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 <laughs> most deaf is fucking awesome. I'm oh fuck. I know. Yeah, I can see him. I can see him in my head, of course, because you can see those fucking big dumbass blocks that he had hanging from his neck all the time. Sorry, dude. It was a 1980s thing. I know. I get it. But uh, and of course, uh, Tom Morello being in the band, that's a that's a super group. Public Enemy number one. Um. Oh, dude. This doesn't have shit to do with music. Flavor Flav, dude. Yeah. Flavor Flav. 
He's got writing credits on a lot of the Public Enemy songs, and I've got a really hard time believing that he fucking wrote anything, including his name. Flavor Flav? Yeah. You think that it was just somebody else and he was just taking credit for it the whole time? I think maybe... I don't I don't know how it worked. Maybe he did fucking write it. I I just don't picture that dude fucking writing nine one one or joke in your town. Um okay, so you were just talking about Seattle. Yeah. Was I? Yeah, I, I went down the list of all the people that I thought and, and I think that they they understand the concept of when a thing is no longer that thing that you have to give it a different designation because it has to reflect what that thing is. When Pearl Jam was Pearl Jam, it was not Mother Love Bone, right? You, you don't put Chester Bennington at the front. Again, I know that that's not Seattle, but there was definitely a connection between, and they all talked shit about each other, which was just dumb as fuck, but that's a different story for a different day. No, and I know you mentioned like STP and actually out of all of those guys uh-huh. and I I fucking loved Soundgarden and I loved Temple of the Dog. Pearl Jam was okay. Nirvana I liked, but out of all of the bands I just talked about, I would have put Nirvana at the bottom. I'm I'm not saying we need to rate anything. I'm just saying then that why you, then why are you rating things? just to give you some context because you mentioned stp and out of all of those bands i think they were my favorite one out of that bunch but then i probably would have put audio slave above stp it doesn't fucking matter i just was trying to give some context so I asked you a question. So if you aren't trying to rate them, then why are you rating them? Because you're trying to give me some context that is. Oh, now not... you completely fucked me up. I'm sitting here looking up Public Enemy shit. I'm fucking trying to talk to you about something, <laughs> and now I am completely so fucking enemy lost. In, public Enemy in Seattle, like what? No, Public Enemy doesn't have shit to do with Seattle. Well, those were the, there was so you were you had been looking for that, and I was just trying to fill up some some. some airspace there well right but we had talked about the fact that we needed to talk about seattle mm-hmm. and public enemy just came up randomly because of the fact that we made the contact to uh chris cornell through tom morello on audio slave and then that traversed well, into raging against the machine and uh, yeah but you're to... talking like fucking 15 minutes back that's fine. I, I appreciate you trying to guide me through my fucking stupidity. Um, it's tough to do. I got to tell you. <laughs> so, so, so out of out of what was considered grunge, and I don't know if STP was truly considered grunge, they were my favorite band. But that is, again, one of those guys, and Chester Bennington, I, Lincoln Park or fucking whatever that other band I, I was, said I think earlier. Lincoln Park, I think you're right. Um, he had no fucking right to try to stand in front of that band and do vocals. 
And maybe somebody said, hey, you know, let's do it. Maybe it was the record company. I have no idea how that shit works. But again, they shouldn't have called it Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, I, 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 completely, I completely agree with you. This is a kind of a funny side note. Again, not a very funny haha side note because it's right before he killed himself, which was about a year before Chris killed himself, right? I mean, it was literally like within, a, I think, a 12-month time period that they both did that. Chester Bennington and uh, Chris Cornell did a live version of Hunger Strike somewhere. So there were all these weird, yeah. There were really? All these, yeah, you can find it. It's not good. I mean, don't, don't, don't go look for it. I mean, like, when, you, when I listen to Hunger Strike, I only want to hear it in, in one way, and that's with those two vocal voices crossing like and with all, all those guys behind them backing it because chris with the lead and then eddie sort of being pinched at a close space right behind it's just it's just perfect it's awesome it's one of the coolest like accidental recorded you know i mean just like the the wilburys i don't think it was something anybody knew was going to turn into what it turned into maybe that's what you need to do is just kind of fuck around and start spinning some shit because i mean really and we talked about this a little bit. I mean, Rick Rubin started his shit in a fucking NYU dorm, dude. Is that how he, uh, really? Who was the first person he produced? Like, that was big. Dude, I want to say it was the, well, it was LL Cool J. Because he pulled Russell Simmons in. And then LL Cool J and then the Beastie Boys, or maybe it was the Beasties and LL, but. But it was all those, those people back then. I mean, he started it in, like, like I said, a fucking NYU dorm room. And the name of his, the first band that he produced was the Pricks. Oh, well, he was big into punk rock at that point. Pose. The first big, big one was I Need a Beat with uh, LL Cool J, and he had Beastie Boys right behind it. Oh, and then Run DMC, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he didn't get Run DMC, I don't think, until he got fucking Russell Simmons. And then the only reason he got Run DMC was because, because you know, of the, connection. the yeah. brother thing. Uh-huh. And I don't mean brother like black, I mean actual brothers. They're siblings? Fuck yeah. Run DMC and fucking Russell Simmons? Yeah, one of, um, it's Russell Simmons and Daryl Simmons. He's the D from DMC. I had no fucking idea. Interesting. Learn something new every day. See, I dog on you pretty bad, but I give you props when it's time, motherfucker. (laughs) So, since we're going down, since the Rick Rubin connection came up, we're going to reiterate something that Brian brought up at the very beginning, because we didn't really talk about it very much. Um, a lot of this stuff we're talking about has like a high degree of musicality, and I don't want to imply that the, this other group doesn't have a high degree of musicality, because they actually did play songs with instruments and sang and stuff like that, too. But the Beastie Boys stuff that they got most of their notoriety for was 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 the, the rap, you know. But uh, once uh, MCA died, uh, May 4th, oh, May the 4th, 12. You. yeah, 2012. He died on Star Wars Day in 2012. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Um, 
yeah, you, there's there's no there's no uh, Beastie Boys without all three of those guys. Like they're they were a unit, and it's funny you, you're never gonna see them do it now anyway because the amount of energy that they had to like maintain on the stage when they were doing their performances was fucking. Like I'll go back because a lot of that stuff's only on video, you know. But you go back and see like this shit like from like 1998 when they're in fucking like Sweden or something like that, and they were fucking crazy, dude, all over the place. Well, and dude, I mean, if you just look at and this isn't one of their best songs, but I think it was their first video, was Fight for Your Right to Party. And it's funny is that Rick Rubin was in that fucking video. Was he in the video? Yeah. He's wearing a slur t-shirt. Dude, he always wears weird t-shirts, man. He is a fucking weirdo. Um, Super fucking cool guy. But but what a unique unique dude. They had a lot of fucking energy in that video. And I don't think that it was like a fake thing. I think that probably some fucking guy was like, okay, we're going to do this video and I need you here and you here. And they were like, no, fuck you. And just went crazy I could be wrong, but I mean, yeah, there's no way the beasties you you couldn't throw a third guy in there and make them the beasties anymore. Which they, and they said it when Adam died. I mean, they said they said it's done, it's over, like in the form that it is, you know. And that's, I mean, I saw him, I saw him live three times. I saw him uh, at the Coliseum, which was kind of a weird thing to to do. I saw him at. Uh, Fiddlers for Lollapalooza one year, and then I saw him at fucking uh, where did McNichols? That was and they played. That was the last inside. Yeah, and that was the last show that they played. Uh, Tribe played all three. I think all three. I know they played at least at Fiddlers and the, um, but uh, it was the last time that they were going to do a show with Tribe because I think they'd figured out that um, dude was about yeah, to die. Yeah, boy was having yeah his his diabetes was really fucking catching up with him. And, uh, so that must have been fairly late. That was yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. I mean, dude, Connor's younger brother was old enough to be at the show, so it had to have been ninety-eight. Yeah, probably ninety-eight. Fucking, fucking awesome show. The one, the one at uh, um, the Coliseum. I went with that Steph girl, and uh, she was crazy. She's like, I'm gonna go jump over the barricade i gotta get down on the floor i gotta get down on the floor and i was already fucking just like a dumb shit old man at that point in time so she went and ran and jumped the barricade and got down on the floor we found her later on but uh (laughs) i i hope i mean you should have fucking tried to expound on that a little bit alive i'm assuming what do you mean you found her later I, I yeah I mean whatever we're all partying you know right I mean, she we, we we all came together we all left together okay know? that's good so never leave a person behind yeah never never leave a yeah never leave a soldier that's for sure um they were great live both both of them and uh um and uh who is tribe and when he when I, I tribe is never and the, I told you that kid when we were talking about tribe in that last episode there was a kid that reached out to Q Tip and was trying to get them to I thought you said it was a son it wasn't a son it was somebody maybe no it wasn't the other no it's some, it's just but it's a young kid that's okay. doing rap on YouTube and stuff like that trying to get him to do more political shit well he wants he wanted Q Tip to come out and do this thing and Q Tip kind of just hasn't been doing much anything for a little while but when when old boy died in tribe. That was, I mean, that was in a tribe too. So, I mean, they were not going to go back and, you know. 
if I had any regrets about not seeing anybody live, uh-huh. it would have been the Beastie Boys and Rage Against the Machine. And I tried to fucking see them when they were here in Denver the last time at the fucking GOP. Oh, that's right. They thing. played it. It wasn't the GOP. It was the it was the Democratic uh, National Convention. I thought it was the GOP that they were protesting. They were they were protesting both sides. This is fucking Zach De La Rocha. Zach De La Rocha is like all oh, you fucking moral political motherfuckers are a bunch of you. And Democrats are worse because they fucking try to pretend like they care about people, but they don't give a fuck. Did I say that, or was that somebody else? Uh, that might have been Zach De La Rocha. I, was, I, I do very good imitations. Fife Dog, yeah, that's right. He's the one that passed away. Um, yeah, so I don't... I, I'm still going to stick to my guns and say that I feel the same way. Like, if the essence of the band is no longer there, and whatever that is, and... I guess maybe that's up to the fucking person who's listening to it. But, you know, like we said, okay, well, Eddie Van Halen was the essence, so fuck it. He can throw in David Lee Roth. He can throw in Sammy Hagar. He can throw in whoever the fuck he wants. And it's still Van Halen. Um... You know, you can't replace the Beasties. You can't replace any of the Beatles. You can't replace Led Zeppelin. Apparently, I think I kind of agree with you on the fucking super band thing. You know, as far as, well, at least with the traveling mulberries, I mean. We need to see it play out a little bit more. It's kind of an interesting thing because you're going to have different formations and it's going to always be about context. Right. Um, but I, I think I'm still like Alice in Chains is not Alice in Chains anymore. Sublime is not Sublime. STP is not STP. Audio Slave can never ever be Audio Slave, and I don't even think anybody's gonna fuck around and try. Yeah. Let me let me give you some examples of some funny ones. Funny ones to try to sort of So we were talking about, uh, of course, the one we were talking about um, off was journey you know so journey's had like 600 different people try to be their front man but the there's a there's a guy from the philippines named arno renda or something like that renata Pineda, Pineda, that's what it is um pinata probably is what it comes out to be but i don't think they put it on wikipedia right but uh he's been with them now i think for like 16 years or something like that so yeah of- but uh, he isn't that the one where he fucking won it off of like a fucking TV show or some they, shit? I think that's where they found him. That's where they found him. So, um, Van Halen, after Sammy Hagar, they tried to use some guy named Gary Sharon from 97 to 99, and that didn't turn out well. Um, Motley Crue, uh, Vince Neil left in 92, and somebody named uh, John Corbari. They tried to use them from 92 to 96, uh, but that was really, really bad. Dale brought this up early, but I'll speak into the microphone so people can actually hear it being said. Uh, after Ozzy Osbourne was pushed out of Black Sabbath in 79, Ronnie James from Dio. Brian was talking about that, too, and he was speaking into the microphone. So you probably And then Ian uh, Gillen from uh, Deep Purple. Um, I, we talked about John Anderson yet 
Anderson from Yes. We've talked about Sublime. There's a couple other ones that were, uh, maybe, maybe they're not. But that one with uh, Vince Neil, like, I don't like Motley Crue, but Vince Neil is, there are, even for bands that are fucking horrible, there are certain things that have to be part of who and what they are. Okay. Otherwise, they're not. So the only reason I know this is because I watched some bullshit movie on Netflix. I think it's called The Dirt. They will watch that. He told me about that, too. Nikki Six uh-huh. and I think Tommy Lee were the two founding members of the band. Uh-huh. And then they pulled in uh, Mick Mars. Uh-huh. And then they finally found Vince Neil. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Vince Neil was the last guy out of the bunch. So, again, founding members versus essence, or does founding member equal essence? I think in that instance, like... There's no doubt that like the stupid thing that they would do with the cage and Tommy Lee playing the drums was like one of their gimmicky things that like people liked. Yeah. But vocals for the hair bands were very, very, very I mean, Cinderella's front man, like I can't, you know, I can't imagine I I don't even want to imagine Cinderella period anyway, you know. But they switched a lot of fucking personnel too. But not front not front. People did they? Maybe I, mean, not. I have no I idea. don't know. I they don't know. Because like those guys, they live for like poison. They live for that. Brett Michaels was always going to be the one, right? I mean, he was. And the, God, they were awful life. Like I remember seeing some things on like MTV, like not not good execution. Oh, that. dude, poison was the fucking worst of all of them, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, still the front man is the front man in those weird spaces. Yeah. That like the dumb girls that would go want you know take their shirts off and show them their boobs. That happens at all concerts that I've ever been to in my life. It doesn't matter how shitty they are. I will tell you something funny that so like Brian when they were I think they were playing a show at Arapahoe because that's where they they went to high school. Um, Terry Quinn, who was their bass player, uh, some girl took her panties off and threw them at them at the Arapahoe High School. <laughs> <laughs> so so he says you know and I, I i have to believe that it's the truth i mean it's hard for me to imagine tq getting a, a face full of panties but uh I, I mean what you're saying is true you know i i think it absolutely is and i don't think it's necessarily just musicians i mean you you've had a lot of instances where girls just take their panties off and throw them at your face and just other random things Oh, you like Dave Chappelle. You mean like if Dave Chappelle's up doing a set, somebody's gonna throw their panties at him every now and again. Probably. That, yeah, but that's because. But I mean, I also that. know, and I can't remember which author it was, but some author said they just wrote to get laid. I've heard, I've heard that actually. Yeah. Who who was? Do you remember who? No, I. That's what I just said. I can't remember. And fuck again. I've jammed so much media into my fucking brain. It might have just been some shitty quote from a fucking movie. But I swear it was a fucking author that said that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why they, you know, if, if you're a shitty rhythm guitar player for a band. No, but I do know. Okay. Sorry. It was a movie. Um, the same movie 
where it was Buster Rhymes who played the brother, Finding Forrester. Sean Connery said, I do, write books. Why do people write books? They write them to get laid. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what You're it was. You're the dog now, man. He said, somebody else needs to read them. I write them. Um, okay. So, I know, again, we slightly veered off course. Um, well, people stick together as bands to get laid, too. I mean, there's probably. no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. There was probably a lot of. I mean, another, you know, the financial and all that kind of stuff, you know, the rock star lifestyle. Does it? I don't know if it exists anymore. Because, you know, fucking. Was it Dwayne Ullman that started doing fucking anti-drug commercials in the fucking late 80s? Not Dwayne. Dwayne Dwight. Dwight? There's no Dwight. Greg. Greg Ullman. No, no. It was. Dwayne is dead. He was dead in 1972 or something like that. Okay, so it was Greg. That would have been just because he got caught with some coke or something like that. Yeah, maybe. But what I'm saying is, is that, like, the public persona as far as partying and doing this i mean because randy rhodes died because of fucking drugs and alcohol not necessarily because of him taking them but he's not dead right he faked this he's he's playing with elvis somewhere yeah (laughs) but lots of them did heroin overdoses and all of this other shit so Maybe it doesn't exist anymore, the rock and roll lifestyle. And I don't know because I'm not a fucking rock and roller and I don't go to shows anymore. Well, I mean, you just suggested that even if I was a comic, every now and again, I'd have panties thrown on my face. Yeah. And I got a big nose, so they, I, I could... They'd it, catch and swing. Yeah, I could, there could be some flag concepts playing out right there. I Well, I think that... The pussy part is true. I don't know if the drinking and partying part is true. I don't know. I mean, Billy Strings, young young William Apostle, he's uh he's 28 now, maybe 29. And every time I see him, he's smoking a joint, you know, on stage he's smoking a joint. He actually did this fucking hilarious. Somebody gave him one of those weird old Casio digital ones, right? Did I show you that thing? Mm-hmm. So he... He's he's screwing around with it, and he's because you, you just kind of da, 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 with this little digital part, right? But you have to actually play the fretboard like it's a fretboard, right? So um, there's a there's a thing that you can turn on on side of it, on the side of it that that puts a a fake fucking drum beat, right? Right, like a Casio SK one or something. Yeah. So he 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 does that. He hits that, and then all of a sudden he starts playing Axel F, right? And then he goes like right into this fucking like blue bluegrass thing on the fucking ca- on the Casio because it is one of those Casios. And meanwhile, he's sitting there fucking smoking a joint, just like I mean, just like a cloud of fucking smoke is coming off his head. No uh, drugs, whatever, you know. I mean, but the fact of the matter is, he's good friends with uh, Post Malone. Post Malone drinks every night. You're not gonna do what Post Malone does unless you, you know. Uh, do a little bit of cocaine. No, here I'm there with the birds so, of a feather flock together thing. So there's probably, and I don't know how much, you know, but he's young. He's 28, you know. 
I mean, I know that I was a lot more resilient when I was 28. I never, ever fucking snorted coke or did crack, and there were people around me that did it. But you're not a rock and roll person. No, but I did live the fucking rock and roll lifestyle for a while. I remember we were uh, dealing a poker tournament up in Deadwood, and we drank a lot really late that night. It was definitely an Adderall morning, to be sure. Girls throw underwear at you. All the time, yeah. When you're a poker dealer. <laughs> you're my favorite dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, and I don't think it's male or female specific. I think that a certain level of fame gets you certain perks that weren't there before, regardless of whether you were drinking and partying, because the drinking and partying is what I consider the rock and roll lifestyle. The having the menage a trois and shit, that's a perk. I'm, I'm not going to play the designation game anymore. Okay. That, is, that, that could definitely just as easily be identified as part of the rock and roll lifestyle as well. Well, then why the fuck didn't I have some of those? Because you weren't a part of the rock and roll lifestyle. Okay, so I just fucking drank and fucking smoked. Like you you have to you have to go and do a song in front of some people first, you know. I mean, you tried to be a comic for five minutes, you know. You, I you, did it multiple times. But you too. need to have you need to have your name on the marquee, you know. You get your name on the marquee, something happens. I ended up banging that fucking girl in my car. That fucking girl in my car. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Well, she was happy that I was up on stage is all I'm getting. Oh, so you did a set one night and you got a little something, something. Yeah. There there you go. You're, dude. One time. The, of course, I only did it four times. Yeah. Well, you just, you see, you were just kind of inflating things for a second. I did it a bunch of times. Blah, 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 blah. No, I said four times. Not the first time you didn't say that. It's all right. You can go back and listen to this I'm later and we can talk it. about it. Um, no, when I did stand-up comedy, as a novice, I wasn't saying that was the rock and roll lifestyle. I was just saying that I used to fucking drink so much that I couldn't fucking see straight, which is what a lot of those guys did and ended up fucking killing themselves. The rock and roll lifestyle. Right. Minus the menage a trois. Like when that drummer... Uh, I think it might have been Vince Neil that he was with. They rolled that car in the drummer for uh, Death Leopard and Conifer when they were all drunk that night. And then he had his arm cut off. And then he became the one-handed drummer. Yeah, he had to get a beat machine, dude. Which, at that point, you're just doing fucking electronic music. You're not a drummer anymore. Well, he still used his foot pedals and his, his, one, his one good arm. But yeah, he definitely had, he was cheating. Um, There was somebody else. I mean, there have been several of them that fucking died because of booze. One way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't an isolated. That was just one that was like in Colorado. Right. Boom, bam. Did the Def Leppard thing happen here in In Colorado? Colorado, It happened, I'm 98% sure it happened in Conifer. Wow. All this time... I was fucking oblivious to well, that. I, I don't think it's probably the most important things in the history of the world. Common knowledge. I'm sure the fucking Def Leppard drummer thinks, fuck that, I'm not going back to Colorado. Those mountain roads are a bitch. 
you can't drink and drive. All right, so once again, we veered off course <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> but literally and figuratively. Um, so we're talking about how did we want to word it? Well, I, dude, I put it in the context of that boat, you know, at the beginning. Like, is it still... No, no, no. What, not what? this show. Next show. Oh, next show. It's, so I know the, what we're talking about this show. The political economy, uh, the way that I think about it is the political economy of prisons. Like prisons, you know, like the business of prisons, what goes on inside of prisons. Uh, we don't really want to know what goes on inside of we're relative to the like the structure like to where i mean some of the stuff that we were talking about even during the last one with regards to the military the military uh, indu industrial complex and whatnot there was a suggestion that incarceration was actually a part of these markets that were being constructed as a way of disciplining populations that uh, got out of line um so what what does that look like on the ground? What is you know what are these these businesses? You made some sort of a weird comment about these private ones in in southern Colorado. Like these are the questions that we've got to get deep deeper into. We started talking about them the last time, but we need to look deeper at the business of the incarcer incarceration industry. Okay, so we're talking about prisons again, but I think last time we just barely scratched the surface when we were talking about prisons. So like Darren said, we're going to talk about more of the infrastructure stuff, more of what goes on here and there, Maybe how the how things work, budgets, um, how it might, you know, connect to that fucking crime bill that Biden passed in fucking 94. And how that might tie to some real conflicts of interest when it comes to profit for incarceration, essentially, because these are things that are clearly linked today. Yeah. Business, you don't want to let people out of prison because you're, you're making money out of them. It's like a Andy in Shawshank Redemption to the 100th degree, you know. Which we've kind of linked them together. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys realize this by now, is that all of our episodes are kind of tied together. Connected, yeah. Um, but that isn't because of us it's just because everything really is tied together it's all part of the same human field of uh, existence so we're going to talk about the prison industrial complex or prisons or whatever the fuck you want to call it but um not a lot of connections between dead people and bands and bands continuing on in prisons though depending on how you look at it we, we could probably find some connections there so we could talk about drugs and how that relates to drug policy. Okay, drugs, okay. Or booze and DUIs. I remember Johnny Cash getting busted and getting sent to the San River a couple of times. They let him out pretty quick. They don't let me out too quick. He never, you know, actually spent time in Folsom, which I thought was hysterical when he said that. Um, what? That he never spent time in Folsom. Well, somebody else wrote one of those songs. He didn't, he, one of them he didn't write. Well, he may not have written that, but mm -hmm. he fucking made that motherfucker sore. The song? Yeah. Dude, Johnny Cash is, he's a bad motherfucker, motherfucker. 
All right. Well, I think we're at the fucking end of the line. <laughs> Time to get off the bus. So, again, prisons. Um, 720-334-ROLL. Short Bus Debate Club at yahoo.com. We'd um, love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know what the fuck you think. All right, John King. Later. Thank <laughs> you.